Hello and welcome to Name on the Trophy, the Manchester United podcast and YouTube show hosted by me, Dominic Booth. Another one of our stats transfer specials today with Alex Wiley from Sabre Sports. The returning Alex Wiley now on his third appearance, really clocking up the game time at the moment, Alex. Uh, thanks for having, thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, increasingly becoming part of the furniture. Um, really enjoying these, so here's to many more. Feet under the table, even the confidence to wear a, a snazzy pattern jumper this week for the YouTube fans, which is good. Yeah, well, the visuals are just as important as the audio, so it matters what we wear. It, it does, although I'm wearing something incredibly bland. But um, this week, we're going to be talking about other positions that United need to strengthen in the transfer market, largely talking about the summer, well, almost entirely talking about the summer with this one and we obviously have covered the striker issue and the goalkeeper issue in our previous two episodes a uh, good chance for me to say they're still out there on spotify and youtube to listen to and watch so this week alex positions other than those two what what are those two positions first of all and and why do we why do we think united need to strengthen in those areas uh well so i think the best way of going about this is if I give a broad overview of where United are now and then we break it down in terms of the quality of the players that we have and the amount of players that we have in each position and talk about age curves and things like that. Yep. So, that sounds good. Yeah, so what I was thinking is I wanted to look very broadly at where they are compared to other teams in the Premier League, their attack and their defence. So I've used a website called 538, which I'm sure some of the listeners have heard of. Um, and their model basically rates 200, 250 teams in the world. And they give them a score. And the score effectively means the likelihood of them winning against an average team at a neutral venue. So to put numbers on this, United's current score is 81.2 which basically says that United have an 81% chance, roughly, of beating an average team in the world. Okay. Context, in the Premier League, that puts us fifth. City are obviously top. If you're in roughly the 90s, you're one of the best teams in the world. So we're talking City, Bayern Munich at the moment. Our attack, we're expected to score 2.3 goals against the average side in the world and concede 0.6, all of which are fifth. So that tells us two things. It tells us, one, we're not where we want to be yet. And it tells us another thing, we're fairly well balanced in, in that regard. So taking that into consideration, I wanted to look at the quality of players that we have, because you might as well take a broad overview if we've already established that the attack and the defence are more or less equal. And yeah, and we obviously them... need to... Sorry, we just need to no, no, assess, assess the strengths of the squad as well as the weaknesses. So there's no point in us talking about players that United we think United should sign if they're well stacked in that area or if they have particularly mm. strong options in that area. So obviously at the moment, a good example would be United have a load of centre-backs. So there's not really much point talking about that. They've signed centre-backs and pretty much every summer window in the past three or four years. So, um, yeah, we can get on to the other positions. Um, yeah, once, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about centre-backs because that was a, 
a slightly strange one in that we have four centre-backs that are all good ages, more or less. Um, and we have four centre-backs and we often play with a back two, so that in theory gives you cover for both. The one thing I would point out is we only have one of those that can play with their left foot, which is Lisandro Martinez. So I guess that's an extra nuance to it when you start taking that into consideration. I would actually argue that we sell one of Lindelof or Maguire and I'd go with the the former and bring in a left-sided centre-back. But this, this is something that could happen one, two seasons down the line. Yeah, uh, I can see the arguments for that. I can see the arguments for signing a younger centre-back as well that maybe develops into a first-team one because obviously the Varane-Martinez partnership is is still in its infancy, really. And mm. uh, it's obviously shown a lot of promise and United fans are very happy with it. But yeah, United don't have a huge stock of young centre-backs in their academy waiting to come into the wings. The likes of Axel Twanzevi and Ted and Mengi are probably not going to make it at United now. Um, yeah, And probably not even of the profile that that Ten Hag would want. Like you say, maybe he wants two less size centre-backs want to come in for Martinez, yeah. uh, etc. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, spot on. So the other positions on the pitch... We're covered in goal. I'm just going to talk about the number of players we have for the time being rather than the quality. And then we can take it further and talk about the quality of those players. This is like one of those squad squad maps with uh, names yeah. below each position, like football manager style, mm. uh, yeah. squad planner. Yeah. Um, so, maybe in a few months' time, we'll be able to have those graphics come up as we're speaking about it, but not yet. It's quite quite a low budget affair for the time being. Big ambitions. <laughs> Big ambitions, Alex. Yeah, so yeah, we're stacked. Uh, three goalkeepers, that's fine. Two right backs, that's fine. Four centre backs, two left backs. I think that's all okay. In the wide positions, we're more than stacked. It's when you start looking at the other positions that it becomes less obvious. Um, so in centre midfield, technically we play with two centre mids and we have roughly four centimetres was it five four or five but this is where the profile becomes quite important because in my opinion we only really have one out and out defensive player and that's Casemiro and then we have a whole bunch of other players that can kind of play as like a eight slash six slash ten and in my opinion we need somebody with a more defensive profile that can cover for Casemiro, who will be on the younger side of the age curve. The theory being that as Casemiro gets older and goes into his 30s, 31, 32, you've got a guy who's, I don't know, 23, 24, 25, and can naturally take his place, which is kind of what Real Madrid have done with Tukumeni. You know, you've brought in effectively a younger, a younger model. I think we need that for both depth and also... Uh, sort of like squad evolution, if that makes sense. So that's that's one of the first ones I'd bring up. The second one is the number 10. So we've got Bruno Fernandes, who's arguably our best player. Behind him, Donny van der Beek, maybe. But the more I watch him, I don't see a player who's a, a 10. I see someone who's... I don't know what van der Beek is. Is he a second striker? Is he an eight? I don't, I don't know what he is, but he's not a creative force. 
So we don't see enough of him, even when he's on the pitch. We don't see enough of him, let alone right. him being on the bench and and a series of managers not trusting him with a starting role. So it, he is a backup at the moment. You know, ideal ideal backup in a way, and that he's willing to play second string to Bruno Fernandez. Mm. But I do see uh, United letting Van der Beek go in the summer. Obviously, he picked up that injury after getting a chance in January. But I do see that. He will want to move on and play first team football, and United will have to find a, a different angle for their their backup number ten. And it's difficult with Bruno Fernandez as well because he doesn't want to sit on the bench and he doesn't want to rest. He, he plays pretty much every minute that he he's available for. So yeah, you, you know yeah. From a, if you look at the academy point of view again, Hannibal Medjbury possibly uh, as a number ten is doing well on loan at Birmingham, but again would be a, definitely a backup. The likes of Ahmad potentially again on loan at the moment. He's more of a wide player anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't see a sort of a natural um successor. Zidanic Bell is probably more of a deep lying midfielder than a number ten. So yeah, yeah it's, there's probably not those options in the academy to, to come through. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that Bruno Fernandez has played every minute more or less when he can. I think if we bring anyone in in that ten position it'll have to be someone who I think is pretty young, probably like 20, 21, 22, someone who's not expecting to get first-team football but will jump at the chance to play for United and can come in in certain game situations, in cup games and things like that. Because, I mean, Bruno Fernandes, like I said at the very start, is probably our best player. It doesn't need to be replaced. He just needs someone to take some of the minutes off his legs and... Just give us a backup in case Bruno gets injured. Because the truth is, if Bruno picks up an injury, and to be fair to him, he very rarely does. But if he does, that's a big, big problem for United. It's yeah. almost like our our entire creative output is, is almost tied to that one player in terms of passing. So if he's if he's gone, it's a big issue. We almost have to completely rework the way that we play. So I think having a backup there does make sense. I don't think it will happen this summer. I just no. don't think United will quite have the foresight. They'll, they'll just think, oh, we've got a really good number 10. Why do we need another? But we probably don't have the budget as well, to be fair. If we're talking about um, a striker signing, a goalkeeper signing, a couple of others that we're going to mention in, as well, that's probably four mm. first-team signings that, that need to be made. And uh, you know, if you're adding a, a high-caliber number 10 or even a promising number 10 these days, that, that's not that player is not going to come on the cheap. No. And the budget in the summer could be anyone's guess. A lot of it depends on what happens with the sale, if it goes through, who buys United. I mean, I imagine that whoever does buy United will be very wealthy. So we could have have an embarrassment of riches. It's probably more dependent on whether the Glazers actually get the sale through. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, yeah, everyone, will be, everyone will be listening to this, hoping that they do get it through, and that the budget is three hundred million. But at the moment, it's difficult to difficult to pinpoint that, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, we've heard nothing about the sale. Really, we heard that they wanted to sell it in the first quarter in December, and have heard more or less nothing since that. Unless you've heard something that I haven't. I've seen a picture of um, Joe Glazer in Qatar. Uh, which supposedly is him negotiating a a takeover with a Qatari consortium. But 
there's no actual evidence to suggest that's what he was doing there. He could have been on holiday and there's been links with Dubai. There's been links with Apple in America. Yeah. Jim Ratcliffe uh, is a, the British billionaire option. Uh, but all of these at the moment seem to be potentials rather than, rather than definites. And yeah, I can't see anything happening until March, April. That's when am I, was, I, am I right yeah. in saying that Apple basically they came out and said, no, this is all, fabrication almost immediately yeah they distanced it but i do think that there is a there is the chance that a brand like that they would sees, distance wouldn't they when you think about yeah it. It, but they also could see united and also liverpool are up for sale at the moment as well mm. so there's there could be a scrap for for the two biggest clubs in english football between some of the big global brands who want their name attached to to the premier league given how lucrative it is and you know it's not a money maker a lot of the time running a football club it's um, it's often a loss leader so mm. whether that puts people off like apple who are probably obviously more commercially minded than someone like sir jim ratcliffe who's a united fan from rochdale mm. who would probably just love to own united and it'd be the pinnacle yeah. of his career i always think with owning a football club certainly like an elite football club the money's made when you sell you kind of appreciate that Whilst you're running the club, you're probably going to make losses for most football clubs in the world. It's just whether after a few years, the value goes up. And that's more or less what the Glazers have done. You know, yeah. we've we've had loads of debt. We're, we're losing money at this point. But they're still going to make a huge return on their investment. And I think that might interest certain investors. And like you said, the uh, the publicity that Premier League football gets... You can see why an Apple would like that, especially with their streaming platform where they could even work out a deal with that. You can see why a big tech would be interested in sponsoring a club like United. And in many ways, United are the exception to the rule because they do generate more revenue than a lot of mm. clubs and nearly nearly most clubs in the world. Mm. Look at City and Newcastle. Yeah, they're just completely being bankrolled on a, on an absolutely enormous loss, mm. but the the money keeps coming in from the owners to cover for that. So it's United. Uh, they sell more shirts than City and Newcastle. They sell more shirts than almost anybody, and sell tickets, and they're, they're more profitable in terms of TV revenue. More, more the TV companies want to show them more than anybody else. So yeah, it's a little bit of a tangent. I've just realised, but an interesting yeah, I, one. Like I don't mind doing it because it is really interesting. Because United have almost everything they need to be self-sufficient apart from the massive load of debt that got loaded onto the club by the Glazers. Everything else, you know, you can see as a potential new owner how this club can quite quickly become quite self-sufficient. Like like you said, the revenues that the club generates just from commercial activity has always been good. And it's been good ever since I've been a United fan, really. People attribute that to the Glazers. I think we were always pretty good commercially and they've just pushed it a bit further forward. Um, Edward so yeah. used to get a lot of credit, didn't he, for that? That was yeah. what he used to say. I used to just think, well, he's in a big role at United who sell themselves in many ways. So it's hard to gauge that. Yeah. I've always said that United are one of the few clubs where winning football games isn't actually the most important priority for the owners. We might be the only club in the world where the money comes first, what what it brings in, what it brings in in dividends and how we actually do on the pitch kind of comes second. It's it's bizarre, truly bizarre. If only, 
if only Mike Ashley was still around at Newcastle and you know the Glazers wouldn't actually look as bad as they do. Yeah, they still look pretty bad at the time, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> Mike Ashley maybe rivaled them in terms of um, rallying the fan base and running it in a in a pretty abhorrent way. But mm. um, let's get back to where we were at. We were at United squad, and, and this summer, this summer transfer window, Glazers or not, yep. takeover or not, the United United's football staff will be focusing on certain areas. Um, mm. And when you went round the the squad and the positions, you did you land you landed on two that you thought um, ahead of others, apart from goalkeeper and striker, which we've already discussed. Yeah, so I didn't get a chance to talk about strikers. Strikers an obvious one that we're just yeah. short on. You know, we've got Martial and kind of Rashford, but he's more of a winger, I think. Valt Verkost. Um, we've now got Valt Verkost coming in, but that's only going to be for six months. So yeah, um, goalkeeper and striker, right back. The question, I know we've got two players, they're both decent ages. I think the question has to come down to whether Wambasaka fits the style of play that Ten Hag wants. I think that's a big question mark. And as I said before, I think we have too many players in, in centre midfield that don't quite fit. So I'd have a backup for Casemiro. I'm happy with Ericsson. I'm probably happy with Fred. And then, in my opinion, I'm selling Van der Beek and McTominay and bringing in a number eight option there who can progress the ball. Someone like, and this is maybe a, a nice segue, I don't know, someone like a Frankie de Jong. It's the perfect segue, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fr- Frankie de Jong, we know about what happened with Frankie, Frankie de Jong last summer. United basically made it abundantly clear that he was their top transfer target. Ten Hag really, really wanted him and United were willing to back him to to gain from Barcelona. And the understanding was that Barcelona needed to sell him because of their financial situation. Then a load of strange things happened at Barcelona. They started buying everybody and um, their finances were thrown into a little bit of confusion. There was that clause uh, in de Jong's contract from the COVID era where basically his wage increase was put on hold. And then it was due to come in 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 summer 2022. And that's why he wanted to stay at Barcelona. And I I also think that he didn't consider United a particularly appealing prospect at that point, Mm. the season that they'd had under Rangnick and Solskjaer and no Champions League football, all of that stuff. I think he has an effect. Sorry, I think he also has quite a big affection for Barcelona in general as a club. I think as a Dutchman who's come from Ajax to Barcelona, there's a lot of history there. And yeah. I can see how someone his age probably puts Barcelona on a pretty high pedestal. So, yeah, I think there's that there's that to it as well. There was that. I think he considered it a dream, didn't he, when he first went there a few years mm. ago. Um, mm. And he's still 25, so it's, you know, he's still a player that we know is still on United's radar and that Ten Hag particularly really, really likes work together at Ajax. Yeah. And the story was in December that, De Jong has now told Eric Ten Hag that he would be happy to come to United, basically performing a U-turn on his stance. And that De Jong has had a change of heart and believes that United could now be a good move for him. Now, does that come from Ten Hag and United and what what's happened in the past few months since the start of the season? Or does that come from 
De Jong situation at Barcelona. How has De Jong been performing at Barcelona? Is he is he the player that United think they could be getting? Yeah, so I guess there's the first thing. Was it Ten Hag or is it more the Barcelona situation? I'm inclined to think it's the Barcelona situation because Frankie De Jong and Ten Hag have known each other for a long time. I'm struggling to see how over the last few months what could have realistically changed. I know we're a slightly better team, but it's still... Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, the Barcelona situation, they're still financially in a lot of trouble. And it wouldn't surprise me if behind the scenes there's a bit of pressure to leave. He's also not getting guaranteed game time with Pedri and Gavi both playing. So I can see why that would bother him. And they're out of the Champions League, which is something he mentioned during the summer as a reason to stay. So I actually think it's the Barcelona situation more than anything else that could be the the reason for that. In terms of how is he performing, um, I'd probably argue there isn't a better player in his mould in world football in terms of what he brings. So his Sabre score, which for new listeners is a score that we derive by looking at a player's on-the-pick statistics and seeing the effect it has on effectively winning games. His Sabre score is 88, which is one of the best in world football. He's a fantastic ball carrier, fantastic progressive passer. He's brilliant at getting the ball from uh, between the defensive and middle third and moving it to the attacking slash middle third, you know, that phase of that phase of play. He's brilliant at doing it, whether that be carrying it. So I think his dribbles 1.4, 88th percentile for top five European leagues. Progressive passes, which I think are passes over a certain distance of five, which is the 87th percentile. And despite that, still keeps the ball almost 90% of the time, which is 93rd percentile. I mean, these are really, really impressive numbers. And it it almost goes without saying, Frankie de Jong is very, very good. And if we can get him, we should get him. I just don't want United to get stuck in effectively what, what happened in the summer where there's like a lack of communication as to whether he actually wants to come or not. It should be a case of almost setting a deadline in the window and saying, if it, if it gets this deadline and you're not at the club, we are going to move on to our plan Bs and mean it. Yeah. Well, United have been in that situation with other players, Jaden Sancho and Dortmund, when Dortmund messed them about in that summer, United thought they could get him. They thought they could get him. Dortmund set a deadline. United basically ignored that deadline, thought they could still get him. And then it was put mm-hmm. on, on hold for a, a whole year. It's just happened time and time again with United and transfer targets. Erling Haaland, Jude Bellingham, they missed the boat. They go, they go, they go elsewhere. And I think the saving grace with the De Jong situation is Ten Hag mm. and their relationship, which is obvious and we've spoken about. The Barcelona situation probably helps and the emergence of Gavi and Pedri is quite nice for United because they're probably, those two and De Jong are probably in the top five in, in terms of world central midfielders, right? So yeah, Barcelona have got fantastic. an absolute, yeah, they've got an <laughs> embarrassment of riches. Exactly. So in short, Alex, De Jong is that progressive number eight that you spoke of that is really the top priority in terms of midfield that United should look at in the summer. Yeah, he'd effectively play where Ericsson is currently playing. But with Ericsson, you are getting ball progression. Like he is he is progressing the ball. You're not quite getting 
more progression in terms of dribbling and carrying the ball. You don't quite get that with Ericsson, which you would with De Jong. De Jong is also a lot younger, obviously. 20, 25, as you said. Um, and I think can offer a little bit more off the ball. And that, that's more because Ericsson offers very little rather than De Jong's particularly exceptional at that. But yeah. I, I come back to it. De Jong would be a fantastic signing. He really would. United this season have been playing Ericsson or Fred in that role. And they do offer very different things. Like like you say, Ericsson, not so good off the ball, but a lot better on it. Fred, quite an erratic passer at times, but mm. arguably United's best player off the ball in terms of the ground he covers and tackles yeah, that he makes. In terms of the ground he covers, definitely. I think sometimes his reading of the game can be a little rash. Yeah. But the amount it's, of distance he covers is is phenomenal. He really does get in players' faces. But United signed Casemiro in the summer. And yeah. a, a lot of people saw that as a De Jong alternative. But it, it really wasn't. It was De Jong was never going to be the the sitting number six. No. Or or not really the the player that United needed. United needed Casemiro to hold the four. It's why they were so long um chasing Declan Rice. They mm. wanted someone in that proper Deep line number six defensive destroyer mold, yeah. and that's what Casemiro is, and it's not really what De Jong is. Yeah, I think I saw Ten Hag describe Casemiro as the cement between the stones. Is that what he said? Okay. Effectively, the guy who fills in the gaps um, defensively that get left by other players. De Jong isn't that isn't that player. He can be quite deep, but if he's deep, it's to build progression out. It's not for the defensive stuff. So. You're spot on. Casemiro and De Jong are not similar players whatsoever. In, in fact, I could see how they could work quite well together. If you have Casemiro being more responsible on the defensive side of the ball and De Jong being the guy that Casemiro passes it to to progress it up. Um, kind of like how Casemiro has worked with, alongside the likes of Modric, who's, who's better at that. I will say Casemiro's passing is better than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. At Real Madrid, it was just constant side passes. But now he's at United, he seems to um, be more willing to play through the lines than he, he was before. But yeah, There's a little bit more onus on him, isn't there? Because of maybe the passing in the rest of the team isn't isn't as good. And Fernandez is such a erratic passer. Eriksen's obviously a very very good passer, but Casemiro's coming to his own. And the way United play with the wingers high and wide and and playing on the counter attack a lot of the time suits Casemiro's range of passing. It seems. Yeah, players like Rashford constantly making runs behind the line. Um, I know that Ten Hag actually quite likes the wingers sometimes coming in, especially if the fullbacks are going around the side. But in terms of like those runs that you were alluding to, Rashford just constantly makes them from wide positions all the time. And you can see why Casemiro is more inclined to, to, pay, uh, to play that pass. But if we were to get someone like Frankie de Jong, I think his passing would become a bit less expressive, a bit more simple. And then Frankie de Jong would be the guy who's playing those passes and carrying the ball if and when he's needed to. Yeah, it was quite amusing. We were at Old Trafford uh, the other day for the Charlton game and Casemiro yeah. found himself in, in the wide position on the end of a pass. I can't remember who played the pass, actually. I think it was Ericsson. I think it was Ericsson, uh, yeah. And it was not Casemiro's strength, put it that way, to be chasing the ball into the channels. It didn't really seem to have that uh, turn of pace that Rashford has, for example. No, no. he's um, Thankfully, he reads the game well enough that he doesn't need to be particularly quick. 
I am a little concerned as he gets as he approaches his thirties that might become an increasing problem. But for now, you could argue that Casemiro has been our best player of the season. Yeah, uh, the other player that I just wanted to bring up in this section before we talk about the other position, Alex. Yeah. Um, and I know you don't have stats prepared on him, but just 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 an opinion really. Um, is Enzo Fernandez, mm-hmm. and he was close to moving to Chelsea in January. It didn't happen. I think Benfica uh, Benfica directors come out and said now that that's over. Fernando Enzo Fernandez is staying for the rest mm-hmm. of the season, but he has been mentioned in dispatches in relation to United. And I think, am I right in saying a similar mold to to De Young in terms of what he offers and maybe a similar price tag as well in terms of 100 million plus if he if he does uh, move. Yeah, it's funny you mention Enzo Fernandez. Um, so when he was at River Plate. He was jumping out as a player that could play in a top five European league in our app. He is remarkably well-rounded. So I'd say he's actually defensively more active than De Jong. Maybe not quite as accomplished passer, but still chips in with like a, quite a few assists and quite a few goals. So for Argentina, you saw him sitting really deep. But for Benfica and River Plate, he actually pushed on a bit further up. So I think he's very versatile. I think his yeah. Sabres score off the top of my head is 87 right now, which is one of the highest scores for any player in world football outside the top five European leagues. It might actually be the highest. So whilst usually I would say don't sign players based on the back of a good World Cup, United have made that mistake loads of times. Enzo Fernandez is the real deal and whichever club gets him, is going to have one of the best centre midfielders in world football for the next five or so years, I think. Yeah. The exception that proves the rule on the signing players off a World Cup uh, yeah. campaign. Yeah. I mean, I'm basing it more off what he's actually done at Benfica and River Plate rather than his performances for Argentina. Because like I said before, that isn't actually usually how he plays. He doesn't usually sit quite that deep. But yeah, he is phenomenal. And he saw it with Argentina, as soon as he started playing for them, they looked so much better. As soon as he yeah. came off the bench and started playing, they looked so much more well put together than they did before. They had so many spaces that were just getting left open before he actually came on the pitch. If only they played the Sancho Martinez more and it would have been an easier campaign. They would have won the World Cup uh, an absolute canter. I couldn't I, could, I couldn't believe that, Otamendi starting ahead of... Uh, yeah, I, I just think as Otamendi's been around for so long, he's got quite a lot of... Um, I'm not sure what the word what? is. Yeah, clout in the bank that Lisandro hasn't quite got yet. But for me, Lisandro Martinez might be one of the best centre backs in the world, which might come back to bite me now that I've said it. And the fact that a lot of hyperbole in this episode, Alex, a lot of hyperbole. Well, we we talked about Frankie de Jong, Enzo Fernandez, and now Lisandro Martinez. These these are amazing players. Well, we were on a. I was going to do a World Cup segue, then we went away from it, which is annoying. But two players that were were good in the World Cup. But, and have been linked to United in another position uh, are Serginho Dest and Denzel Dumfries. Now this comes yep. on to the, the other position that we believe United should be looking to strengthen, mm-hmm. depending on the factors you said earlier about Wan-Bissaka and Dallow, the right-back area. United have been looking to strengthen their right-back area for some time. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to when they tried to sign Kieran Trippier under Oligoda Solskjaer, yep. believing then that Diogo Dallo was not for him and Diogo Dallo was not of sufficient quality for the United 
first team. Obviously, Solskjaer spent fifty million on Wan Bissaka. Dallo went out on loan to AC Milan and looked pretty much out of the picture. But has since established himself. One of the, the big decisions Ralph Rangnick made was to make Dallo his first choice right back, and Ten Hag has followed suit. Mm. But it now seems like United are umming and ahhing over right back and Wan Bissaka, and the two names I see continually linked and one they came close to signing in the summer, in fact, in Serginio Dest, and then Denzel Dumfries is the other one whose name is all has been floating around connected to a Premier League transfer for years, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Almost every like I think Chelsea is linked to United. I'm sure I've seen him linked to other clubs. Um cool, I think at one point. I've got quite contrasting opinions about Dest and Dumfries. Yes. So I know. <laughs> Serginio so, so Dest has always, in terms of his numbers, looked fantastic, to be brutally honest. His Sabre scores 84. He's only 22 years old. He's quick. He offers a lot going forward. He's fairly aggressive defensively. The one thing I will say, and I guess this is the problem with looking at data in terms of just like aggregating the numbers is that he is remarkably inconsistent. He has some games where he looks like one of the better right-backs in Europe and then other games when he looks absolutely hopeless. And you saw it for the US in the World Cup a few times. He just plays passes without really thinking about it and suddenly he's given the ball away. But there's definitely the fundamentals there for a very good player, in my opinion. And I, when I heard that United were linked with him, I thought that's perfect because he's not going to be a guaranteed starter. He'll give Dallow competition and we've got a player there that could be very, very good. So to me, that was like, we should have done that. In hindsight, we've stayed with Wan-Bissaka and I feel bad for Wan-Bissaka. I, I actually do because he's not a bad right back. I'd, I'd say defensively 1v1, he's very, very good. It's it's his issues in possession and going forward. And it kind of goes back to the De Gea conversation we had before. I just don't see how that fits into the way that Ten Hag wants to play. Because you'll see every now and then you see Dallow, uh, not Dallow, Wan-Bissaka come inside, which is what Ten Hag wants him to do when wingers go out wide. Because there's always, uh, if one player comes in out wide, the other one goes out and vice versa. When Dallow does it, he looks very natural. When Wan-Bissaka does it, he looks like Bambi on ice. Like He doesn't have a clue what to do when he's there. I've seen him actually, I think against Charlton, he drifted all the way over to the left at one point. He was coming so far in. So I just don't think he quite has the understanding and the technical ability to play for a United team. And I think that's unfortunate because I think he is a good player and in the right team could look really good. Yeah, I've always liked his attitude, Lambasaka. He, he, he's no nonsense. He's no fuss. Mm. There's no airs and graces about him. I've been in um, mix zones where the players come through after games and I've been covering them as a journalist and Wambasaka is just not interested in speaking to the press. And I don't think he's... He you might like give <laughs> one or two. Well, I respect it. I didn't like it when I was <laughs> trying to get an interview from somebody. It was always yeah. the same thing. Stop to speak. It was always one matter, basically. Um, yeah. Which is a nice guy. guy in football, right? But Wambasaka's attitude is commendable. He's he, he sort of like that on the pitch as well, and that nothing particularly flusters him. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't really show much emotion. And 
I can see stylistically, you know, as an actual player, he doesn't suit Ten Hag. And we, we obviously saw that with the game time that he got in the first half of the season. I think mm. he played four four league minutes and that was it. Coming on the end of a game. Mm. Been slightly reborn at a very, very good time for him. These performances since the World Cup break with Dallow coming back a bit late, got a chance. And I think he had a bit of injury and illness earlier in the season, but do you think that he he can do enough between now and the end of the season, really, to to stop United going back in for a, a dest? I think he's done enough for us not to do anything in January with those few games since we've come back. I feel by the summer he's probably going to leave. That's my gut gut reaction on it. I. I think Dallow is good enough to be part of our team for the next few years. He fits stylistically. I just think it comes down to the the stylistic, the style the style of his play. He's just not good enough in possession for a Ten Hag side. And I think Serginho Dest is. He can be a little bit rash with his passing, but technically he is a very good fullback. Just a little. It just feels like he loses concentration every now and then. And what about Denzel Dumfries? You said you had contrasting opinions on the two. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not a huge fan either, I have to say. And I took some stick during the World Cup for tweeting that I'd much rather United sign Des than Dumfries. And then Dumfries had an absolute stormer when USA played Netherlands in that last 16 game. Mm. Denzel Dumfries has a, a strange profile for a fullback. So he's tall, fantastic in the air, like really, really good in the air for a fullback. Contributes loads of goals and loads of assists, which all sounds really good. But defensively does very little and almost never gets on the ball. Like it, It's bizarre. So he plays on average per 90 minutes, 38 passes. That puts him in the third percentile for fullbacks in the top five European leagues. So more or less bottom. So he's almost like he's a fullback who gets like the final one or two touches in every like attacking phase of play, which is bizarre because usually fullbacks are like the one that are a little bit further back or they're helping progress progress it down the line. Denzel Dumfries doesn't do that. And then when he does get on the ball, he's got a 72% pass completion, which is like 21st percentile. So you've got a, a fullback who never gets on the ball, doesn't really keep possession very well, is fantastic in the air and contributes with goals and assists. So it's it's a very, very strange profile. But that detail I mentioned about how he is in possession, it comes back to the same thing we were talking about with Wan-Bissaka. I just don't see how that fits into a Ten Hag system. I just don't. Yeah, it seems... Is that a result of how teams that Dumfries is playing for operate? Is that how Inter Milan play? I, I don't see a huge amount of them. It just seems like a bizarre set of statistics, really. They don't really actually tell us that much about, about him. I think you what I mentioned is what you see when you watch him play. He De- Denzel Dumfries' sort of like trademark move is arriving at the back post with a header to score a goal. He does it remarkably often, like quite a few times a season. I don't think Inter Milan 
I haven't actually got the numbers in front of me and I, I admittedly haven't watched a huge amount of them this season. But they're fairly... I mean, they keep the ball more, more than the other teams. It's, it's odd for a team like Inter Milan to have a fullback who's in the third percentile for getting on the ball. But that's not... That's so extreme that I think it's more of a Denzel Dumfries thing issue. than an Inter Milan thing. Issue, maybe issue. I mean, he attacking-wise, in terms of creating goals and scoring goals, he's fantastic. It's just all the other thirds of the pitch, I'm just not particularly happy with him. Well, are there any other that are there other right-backs then, Alex, other than those two? Um, we mentioned those two because from a sort of media perspective, they're the ones that are most often linked and Trippier mm-hmm. was the other one, but obviously is now at Newcastle and isn't going to come to United. No. Anyone else? Any others? I think you've got three that you want to, to quickly run through. Yeah, so I've got three. All these players, I think, would work within a Ten Hag system. And all these players would not be a guaranteed starter for United if they were to join. The idea being that they're the type of player that can provide competition to Dallow, effectively. Because yeah. I think that's quite a healthy dynamic, especially with... You're looking at Dallow and you are thinking that is a player who actually could be our right back for the next few years. You don't want to shoot that in the back of the head. If you can bring someone that, if anything, causes Dallow to have to keep his level up, and if if he doesn't, then great, we've got another guy coming in, then that's perfect. So that's what I was thinking going into this. So I've got three players, like you said, two playing in Portugal, one playing in Liga in France. So the first one is João Mario at Porto, not the João Mario that played for West Ham. This is a yeah, not the a young. No, yeah, he is a midfielder as well. That guy. This is a a young right back, formerly a winger, I believe, twenty three years old, very direct. Um, he dribbles a lot. He carries the ball a lot. He's got 0.2 expected assists per 90, which puts him in the 95th percentile for similar leagues, which is phenomenal, obviously. Um, My one issue with him is he's a little rash defensively, and I think that's a byproduct of having been a winger fairly recently. But he's, he's a player who his profile has slightly dipped this season because he's had an injury. But last season was more or less Porto's starting right back. And I think could be quite an interesting one to have alongside Dallow, who obviously came from Porto as well, which is just <laughs> a nice little, um, nice one for the narrative. Yeah, they, those stats and that description reminds me a little bit of Alex Tellez. I know it's obviously a different side of the pitch, but Tellez had phenomenal numbers of goals and assists and I think was was highly regarded especially for his assists and his distribution from the left wing but yep. we never really saw it at United or we we saw it in fits and starts and maybe like you say with Mario being a lot younger at 23 you can you can grow into it and yeah and there's not that expectation that when Luke Shaw got injured for example Luke Shaw dropped his form Teller had to start for United mm. there probably wouldn't be that given that Dallow is is usually fairly reliably fit and and playing quite well at the moment. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the one caveat I would say with Tellez, the first thing you've already said is that he was a bit older. So there wasn't 
the uh, ceiling wasn't quite as high. The other thing is a lot of his numbers were boosted by taking penalties and free kicks, which I think if you actually strip that out, wouldn't look quite so impressive. Yeah. The one in terms of stylistically, like Tellez more relies on his delivery. Whilst I think Jao Mario, Jao Mario, yeah, Jao Mario more relies on running with the ball. So I guess they're not quite similar stylistically, but I can see how you can say they're similar in terms of that profile and as to whether they'll make that jump, which is always a question when you're shopping outside of the Premier League, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a question that that was hanging over Dallow uh, until very recently. So it's, it's completely fair enough. And uh, maybe a question that's hanging over the next one of your options from the Portuguese league as well, Alex. Yeah, so the next one is Alexander Barr at Benfica, who fairly recently signed for Benfica, I believe from Slavia, Prague. But he's, uh, he's an aggressive right back. He tends to make the right decision in the final third, whether that be crossing it or playing sort of a diagonal pass into the penalty area. He's in the 90th percentile for expected assists, progressive passes and aerial duels as well. He, and he's still fairly young. I haven't written his age down, but I believe he's around early 20s. I think 22 off the, off the very top of my head. Again, hasn't been in Portugal that long, which I think could put off a club like United. But the flip side of that if you were to join United, wouldn't be an expect wouldn't expect to start effectively, which gives gives us that platform that I I want moving forward of effectively having a player that provides competition with that for Dallow, and either raises Dallow's level or takes his place, which is what all the best teams in the world have. Yeah, Bar is twenty five, by the way. Um, twenty five. It's had an interesting career actually to this point. Sort of was. Pogo in a little bit around the Danish leagues, obviously where he's from, and and since arrived at Benfica, like you say, in twenty twenty two, recently got there. So, an interesting one. Um, probably potentially one of those with a slightly late developer, and yeah, yeah I mean, see him at United a few years ago, just before he signed for Slavia Prague, he was coming up on quite a lot of stats lists, and he was a player that we knew about. Went to Slavia Prague and started kicking on towards the end of his tenure there. And now he's at Benfica, which are a club that are remarkably good with their recruitment. And when he does play, if you're just literally looking at his numbers, looks absolutely phenomenal. Um, He was part of the uh, Danish World Cup squad as well, I believe. Um, So yeah, an interesting player. Um, Certainly worth thinking about, definitely. Okay, let's have the third one on your list then, and we can we can summarise and and again tell United what they should be doing this summer. Yeah, so the final option and probably the best option I have is Malo Gusto at Lyon. So he has a sabre score of eighty three, which is very very good. Um, Dallo is seventy nine, and Wambasaka is seventy six. So statistically on our end at least, profiling better. He's only 19 years old, which is very, very young, to be starting consistently for Leon. A great crosser, quick, pretty active off the ball as well. Probably not as quick as someone like Alexander Barr or even Jao Mario, but still quick enough that he offers quite a lot. 
and very, very comfortable receiving the ball. Constantly gets on the ball, more than happy to take the ball in all sorts of situations. I think Malo Gusto will get a big move soon. If United do it this summer, you can sign him at the point in which you wouldn't expect to start. If you wait two two years, I reckon, whoever's bringing in Malo Gusto is getting them to start for one of the better teams in Europe. He is he's my number one because I think Malo Gusto is a really good player. Yeah, and if you sign him this summer, you pay half the price that you might pay three or four years down the line when United tend to sign these people when their transfer value is at its all-time highest. It, it, it's when the smart clubs buy players. You know, you look, you look at Liverpool, and I hate, I hate to keep saying how good Liverpool have been at this, but R- Roberto Firmino from Hoffenheim, Salah from Roma, um, Luis Diaz from Porto, at the time of those signings were not considered like, oh, wow, great signings. Now, more or less, everyone agrees that they're world-class players. That's yeah. what smart clubs do. You buy it, you buy them before everybody knows their name. Like that, that's the skill. <laughs> and that's something that we don't do as a club really at all. No, but there is, as you say, a sufficient amount of interest in um, Malo Gusto. Um, I believe that Juventus have been keeping an eye on him. Bayern Munich have been linked. Chelsea have been linked. Newcastle yeah. as well, which would be an interesting one given that their best player pretty much is a right-back in Trippier, mm-hmm. who we mentioned. So United not short of potential rivals for that signing if they if they do want to go out there and make it. Um, that's your top choice. It's Gusto, your top choice of those. Yeah, he's, he's the best player and the youngest player. So yeah, he, he's the one I would look at. Okay. I maintain that um, Sergino Dest would be an excellent signing and I was I, excited I, about it last year. Yeah. Like I said before, Sergio Dest as well. I would get a big thumbs up. I like Sergio Dest. Yeah, 22 on loan at AC Milan from Barcelona at the moment. Maybe signing two players from Barcelona in one summer. Uh, this this year might be a little bit too much to ask for with Young as well, if that, that happened. But just have the whole squad. Pedri and Gavi, they're good as well. Yeah, they haven't got any money. Just just throw money at them and just take everybody. Yeah, Memphis Depay, all is forgiven. Come back. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see. But I believe that's probably our longest episode and most in-depth episode so far, Alex. So I think that's pat on the back from for both of us. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And we'll be back for plenty more of these stats transfer specials uh, with Alex Wiley from Sabre Sports. Uh, in the future, you can drop them a follow, Sabre underscore sports. Uh, and follow us on Twitter. Uh, and we're on Instagram now, name on the trophy. Name underscore on the trophy on Instagram. Um But yeah, that's pretty much all from myself and Alex. Thanks again, Alex. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening. We'll be back again very soon. Cheers.